Well, as we begin our uh, message this morning, I want to refer back to the verse that was read earlier uh, from John chapter 316, uh, because uh, that is a verse that I'm sure every child who ever attended a Sunday school class or a camp setting in a Christian camp has been exposed to that verse. Most people know this verse by heart in one fashion or another. Some of us memorized it in the old King James Version uh, because that was a longer time ago. But uh, uh, this is what we're told here. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. What a promise. Uh, What a wonderful expression of God's care for us. But the Bible goes on to tell us that not only was uh, it God's wonderful plan for him to send his son into this world, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas, uh, but the Bible states that God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin. In other words, he was perfectly sinless. He, the perfect son of God from all eternity, he made him to be sin for us. That is in our stead, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is an amazing truth. What what God is offering here is that by making his own son the scapegoat, the person that bore all the sins of the world in his own body on the cross of Calvary, uh, he imputes his righteousness his goodness, his essential character upon all those who by faith in Jesus embrace what God is doing. It's at the same time a complex statement and a very simple statement because all it requires is a willingness for us to admit that we actually need God in our lives. There's a huge world out there that have forgotten that. They don't believe they need God. Because you know what? If everything goes well, if, if uh, life is good, you have a good job, you have a nice house, you drive the latest model car, your family is cooperative and everything is working, who needs God? But when people are at wit's end, when they find themselves in a, in a situation where everything hurts, and where uh, everything is coming unglued, then all of a sudden they're beginning to look around and say, where can I find help? It's always been amazing to me, even just reading Reader's Digest, how many stories, life stories there are when there's an accident, when there's a catastrophe, when there's a problem. Immediately, people instinctively pray to God that they never believed in before. Isn't that amazing? There's an innate sense that somewhere out there, somehow, there is a God who loves and who cares and who makes a difference in our lives. So God's loving plan of salvation for a sinful fallen world is that we might be forgiven and find peace, a right relationship with him through faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, let's explore that a little bit further. Because in 1 John chapter 4, the passage that kind of runs parallel with the John chapter 13, the gospel portion, we are told that we need to recognize the Father's love in the fact that, first of all, God himself 
is the originator of all true love. We're living in a world where a lot is talked about love. Uh, a lot of Hollywood movies, if they're not gory and, and, and scary, then they're about love stories. But the kind of love that is often depicted on the screen and that you read in all these wonderful uh, magazines and, and, and novels and so on where people fantasize about love, uh, many of those have a distorted view of what love is really all about. That, that, that is a cultural thing, especially in the West. We are very susceptible to that kind of thing. And so here, uh, John speaking to the believers in his day, trying to remind them of the fact that God sent his son and the fact that God loves us fundamentally. Uh, he says, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not... Love does not know God because God is love. Now, I want you to know that in the Greek language, there's actually eight different words that describe love, different kinds of love. I'm not going to bother you with all the Greek words because I can hardly remember them myself. But these talk about different aspects of love. For instance, the idea of just fondness or uh, liking something or being infatuated or uh, erotic love. And out of the eight words, only two of them actually appear in the New Testament because most of the others are uh, a variety of love that, that really are not necessarily conducive to a right living standard before God. In fact, for instance, uh, eros, the, the word that describes obviously erotic love, uh, not only does it deal with sexual love, but often it is uh, uh, self-seeking, often it is uh, lustful, uh, sometimes it is downright hurtful. And so over the last number of years, we have had uh, uh, all kinds of uh, people in prominent positions, in powerful positions, corporate positions, exposed for taking advantage of people under their care uh, by abusing relationships, and, 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 and they usually claim, well, it was mutual love. It was by consent. But the reality is often it was foisted on someone, and so now we have all these lawsuits and we have all these people who were in high places have, having fallen and having to defend themselves. It's a, it's a mess out there of what's happened to our society all because they have a distorted view of what love is. Forcing yourself on someone else is not love. That's not the kind of love God is talking about. That's not what John is talking about. So, but eros is, is not a prominent word as far as the, the Bible is concerned. The two kinds of love that the Bible particularly emphasizes is the word filio, which has to do with brotherly love or with, with a kinship kind of love, uh, there's also a word uh, very closely related, storke, which, which is the kind of love that is between parents and children um, and, and, and perhaps between siblings. Uh, it's, it's family kind of love. But uh, filio is one that occurs in Scripture quite often because we are encouraged to love one another uh, and we are to do that with 
using the love that God implants in our hearts so that we in turn can be loving people even if we're not by nature. In fact, one of the things that I've learned is that sometimes uh, uh, there are people even who are fellow believers, can even be people in your own family. You don't necessarily like them because they may rub you the wrong way, they may do things that you don't enjoy, or, or, or they may have a totally different perspective, but Scripture still tells us we, do, we need to love them. Love one another, he says, for love comes from God, and it's our obligation to reflect that love back to one another because God in his main character is love. But along with that, he is also justice, he's also righteousness, he's also fairness. There's a lot of other things that God is in his character, but a prominent character is love. If it were not so, you and I would have no right to exist. It's just that simple. So, uh, the other word, of course, is the word agape. And most Christians, most people in the church context, people who read the word of God will often uh, read some commentaries that explain that agape is the kind of love that actually was an ancient Greek word that was not in common use at the time. Like I say, there were eight, eight words they could have chosen from in order to express what they wrote in Scripture. Uh, but they took the word agape in, and, and gave it that sense that it's the kind of unique love that God himself manifests it's the, God, the love that God places into our hearts. It's the kind of love that God wants us to share with each other. So you and I are capable of agape, godly kind of love, but only because God first loved us and we can now be reflectors and channels, not just recipients of that love to share with others around us. Uh, Unfortunately, the world in which we live is confused because the, the concept of love has been hijacked, has been distorted, has been abused. Uh, but the kind of love that God has for us, the kind of love that we need to be manifesting towards others, is uh, absolutely essential to the Christian character because that's how we reflect God's character to the world around us and to each other past week I was looking at some pictures because some of my school friends and some people, you know, I've lived for a long time and there's a lot of people way, way back. They're all black and white pictures. Now I'm getting to see some of their grandchildren, their children and grandchildren. And I got one picture that I looked at. I said, oh my goodness. He is the spitting image of his father as I looked at him because that's the age I remember his dad. And I looked at that, I said, wow. Well, just like in the family, there sometimes are those kinds of likenesses that are so characteristic and so easy to detect. Everybody that has ever met us should have a sense. This must be a believer. This must be a child of God because they exhibit godly kind of character. Tell you how that worked. Grace and I were over in Germany last uh, three, four years ago, and I had totally lost track of a cousin of mine. Hadn't seen her in many, many years, and when I discovered where she lived, we drove out of our way to go and visit her, and I phoned her, and I told her we were coming. Now, she wasn't so sure she wanted to meet me because she had heard that I was a pastor, and she is not a church-going person. 
In fact, she's very upset about the church because as a child she was abused and she has a lot of issues. So in order to make sure that she was safe with Grace and I, I don't know what she thought I was going to do to her, but uh, she invited her daughter and her granddaughter. And this was the first time in my life ever that I met the daughter, Monica. And as soon as I met Monica, I had this sense, she must be a believer. She, She must know the Lord. Just the way she talked, the way she interacted, the way she responded, I said, wow. But I wasn't sure. And it was not a good time to ask the question because I knew her mom would be very upset if I even asked that question. So later on, I got some Facebook messages from my cousin's daughter. And she posted things in German, which very clearly indicated to me if she is not a true believer, she is at least open towards truth. And so I've nurtured that and corresponded with her a few times. You know what? This last week, I get a message from her. And she says, she calls me Uncle Sig. I'm not really her uncle, but she says, Uncle Sig, uh, my husband and I have been part of the state church, but we have found over the last number of years, more and more the church has drifted from the truth and we are not comfortable there anymore. We were part of a Bible study group, a house circle, and we were happy there. But now we are attending a Baptist church in Southern, in, 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 in Southern Germany. And she says, I have good news for you. I will be baptized on February 10th. And I said, wow. So there's great correspondence going on between her and me right now. But you know what? I had that sense five years ago when I first met her. Why? Because there was something characteristic about her that was totally different from her mom. Her mom was on guard with everything she said. Monica was open and responded well. Well, that's how it should work out in our lives, that we are... An, an expression of God. Because you see, God demonstrated his love by sending his son into this world. This is what John is saying here. This is how God showed or demonstrated his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. The King James Version said, as a propitiation. That's a big theological term, but it means not only did he offer the sacrifice, he himself became the, the sacrifice for our sin. And, and he says, uh, uh, this means that actually his unconditional love extended towards us is willing to take risks with people like you and me. He loves us, as, as, as we are told in Scripture, even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We were not lovable, but he loved us because he is characteristically loved. God demonstrates in Romans 5, verse 8, his own love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Just think of it. The eternal God the creator of the entire universe took the initiative to reach out to sinful people. 
He didn't wait for us to come groveling and crawling back to him. No, he reaches out to us. He arranges circumstances and people in our lives. And one of the, one of the prayers that I keep praying, even for people like, like our own political leaders who are on the wrong road, folks, but I keep praying that God will bring people and circumstances into their lives so that they would hear the truth and wake up and realize there's more to life than your own agenda. There's an eternal, almighty, powerful, all-powerful God who has not only created us, but has a right to set the direction in which we move. In fact, not only do we need to recognize God's love, the Father's love expressed in Jesus, we need to learn to respond. Because when God nudges us and tugs on your heart, and you have that moment when you realize, you know what, maybe life isn't quite like it should be and I need to do something about it. Let me tell you, you can't fix it, but he can and so we need to respond and come back. And so he says, God's love must be experienced in order to become real for us. And, and this is what John writes in chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. That's an amazing statement because it implies that even as we falting and haltingly take baby steps towards God and as we become open in communication with others around us who are fellow pilgrims in this life. I don't know how many sermons I have preached at funerals and I always try to Help people understand whether you like it or not, whether you realize it or not. All of us, every one of us without exception, is on a journey from this life to eternity. You don't have any choice in the matter. Your life, my life, will end when God says, Sig, time's The journey is something all of us have to take. But the destination is something we can choose. We cannot choose when we go. Only where we will go. And that will depend on whether we're responding to God's love and allowing him to direct us into that future. Many years ago, we had a guest speaker at our church uh, he was a Californian, and it was interesting because uh, uh, he was not used to Canadian situation uh, where we co come into each other's home and we take our shoes off. Uh, his name was Chip, and Chip did not have a single pair of sh uh, socks that actually had no holes in it. So uh, I took him around visiting some folks uh, and uh, the first couple of homes we came to, I, I realized the embarrassment. So Grace and I went out and bought him some socks so he could, he could go safely visiting with us. But Chip 
said something during that weekend. It was a powerful weekend. A number of people made things right with God. People who had been professing believers for a long time, but had sort of gradually uh, lost momentum and altitude in their Christian life. And Chip said something I've never forgotten. It it just keeps haunting me uh, ever since. He says, if you're not as close to God today as you once were in your spiritual pilgrimage, there is absolutely no question which of you has moved. He said, God keeps saying in a loving, caring, even voice, my child, I love you. My child, I love you. My child, I love you. But the further you move away from that, the less you can hear it until finally you don't remember God loves you. That's the concern, folks. When we come to Christmas, it's more than trees and tinsels and lights and all of that. That's beautiful. But that's not what it's about. It's God's love expressed in the person of his son, and it was a costly love. It was an amazing love that God exhibited only to help us understand that you and I need to somehow learn to respond back to God with that love. And God's love, we don't have to do that in our own strength. God's love is affirmed by the Holy Spirit that indwells us from the moment of the new birth. This is what he says. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. You see, John was an eyewitness. In fact, he was not only one of the most intimate disciples. He was perhaps in some ways the most intimate disciples. We understand that at just hours before the cross, when Jesus instituted uh, the communion service, which we now celebrate in perpetual memorial uh, ever since. It was John who was leaning on Jesus' breast. It was John that the other disciples would ask questions and ask him this, ask him this, because he had such an intimate, close relationship. So if there was anybody ever to tell us about what that is like, John is the man. John is the man. He knew that intimate relationship. And he says we know it because the Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, testifies to our spirit that we are the sons of God, that we have family belonging with the divinity. That's what he's talking about here. And uh, he says we, we, we know him and we know that we live in him because of that. So, Jesus himself promised his disciples that when he was going to go back to the Father, where he now is at the right hand, seated at the right hand of of the Father in glory, he would send us another comforter, a paraclete, paracletus, uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, who is the inner witness to the truth of our salvation. This is why I'm always amazed when I find fellow believers who struggle with the idea that, yeah, I've accepted Jesus. Yes, I've gone. I've been baptized. Yes, I've joined the church. But how can you absolutely know for sure you're saved? How do I know that 
someday when I'm in great pain and in an accident, uh, in an unguarded moment, I may say something or do something or act in a, in a way that displeases God, and then I've lost my eternal salvation. I said, well, if that's the case, then you never had it. Because the reality is he promised us eternal life. And that is not only qualitative life, but quantitative. It never ends. And so that doesn't mean you can live like the devil and expect to be saved. That's a different sermon. But the reality is you are in Jesus' hands and the Holy Spirit safeguards the investment God has made in your life by sending his son out of his marvelous, amazing love that he's poured out on our behalf. So recognizing God's love comes with an obligation. And the obligation is, to the best of our ability, God, the Holy Spirit helping us, we need to become more loving than we normally would be. Sometimes, you know, we, we can get into an argument with someone and we can be so dead right that we're dead wrong. If we, in the process, lose the relationship to our brother, we may be better back up a few steps and, and look at that issue again and then both pray for God's wisdom and grace to help us forward. So we need to recognize, we need to respond to the Father's love Ultimately, we can rely on the Father's love because uh, God's love has to be appropriated, that is, personalized, in order uh, for us to realize how powerful it is. And we do that by accepting Jesus Christ. Uh, This is uh, verses 15 to 16. He says, Anyone. Uh, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, and that's what it's all about. He is the Son of God. God lives in him and he in God. And so we know, that's a strong word. We don't just guess. We don't just hope. We know and rely on the love God has for us. Have you recognized the Father's love in your life, the telltale signs that he is pursuing you, taking the initiative in your life? Have you come to the point of responding in a positive way to the love that is extended? Someone told me this morning after I had preached the first message uh, out there, he says, you, you talked about Chip telling you about you know, being removed from God. He says, our pastor used to tell us about this couple that was driving down the highway. And uh, uh, she said to the husband, who's sitting behind the steering wheel driving, said, honey, what happened to us? When we first got married, we used to sit closer together. And he says, I wonder who moved. Sometimes we don't recognize that we've removed ourselves, that we are not as careful in our devotional life, in our relationship with God, in seeking the fellowship of of a small group where we can grow together and serve together and worship together. It's easy to get so busy with the things of this life. And we begin to rely 
on our own ingenuity to try to figure out how to get through this next challenge instead of relying on the love of the Father. He's got it well in hand. We may not always understand or appreciate the paths that he takes us, but usually in hindsight, we look back and say, wow, I didn't get it back then, but I'm so grateful. You know, when my father died, when I was only 15 and a half years old, that was not a good thing. But I was so arrogant at that stage in life that it took my father's death for me to ask questions about eternal life. And within a year, God arrested me, and I became a believer. I will be forever grateful, not that my father died, but that God took a circumstance that turned my life literally upside down and took that to draw me towards the only source of hope and joy and peace and love that there is in this world. So when you're going through a rough time, don't curse the darkness. Seek the light. Seek the light. And he is the light of the world. Several times in this letter, the Apostle John states that the world cannot know God simply because they have chosen to reject the truth in Christ. And Jesus himself told his disciples, no one, absolutely no one, can come to the Father except through me. That's in John chapter 14, verse 6. But here's the really, really good news about the amazing love of God. The fact that if you and when you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you have access to all of God. Not just to Jesus, but to all of God. Because the moment you accept Jesus into your life, the moment you say yes to God's plan of salvation, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, take up residence, their permanent residence in your heart. And so he is right there with you. Believers do not only know God's love, they can fully rely on that love. That's what he was saying. And uh, so you can ask yourself the question when there's an issue. Does God know? Yes. Does he care? Yes. So then why am I worried about it? Why do, do I not simply trust him for the outcome of the circumstances. And there's another little nugget here that uh, he includes with this in chapters, uh, in verses 16 to 17, and that is not only is God love, but whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world, we are like him. There's the family likeness that manifests itself when we have a right relationship with God through faith in Jesus. But it's an amazing truth that in some way God's love is perfected. It's perfect in itself, but it is also perfected in us and through us and among us as we are responsive by faith 
following the guidelines of his word, allowing the Holy Spirit to direct us in our lives. So the big question always at the end of a sermon is, so what? We already know that God's perfect love brings confidence and eliminates our greatest fears. Verses 18 to 19 tell us that there is no fear in love because perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment or judgment. The man who fears is not made perfect perfect in love. So if you're still scared of the judgment to come, then there are some things that aren't quite right, and you need to make things right with God and with your fellow believers, if that is the case. And he says, we love him because he first loved us. He took the initiative. We also know that there are some practical implications. We've already mentioned that to God's love, and that is the fact that whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love the the brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. You, You cannot love someone that you don't actually know. This is one of the big uh, lies of 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 the Facebook age. Uh, I I know young people who have hundreds of friends, and they may not have a single real friend because they don't even know the people that they are communicating with. That's an aberration. Real love, real relationship means it is between two people or a group of people who have a common cause because they together experience God. And so he says, and he has given us uh, this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So if there's anything that's between you and a fellow believer, make it right. Allow God's spirit to guide you into unity and to uh, supportiveness one towards another. God offers us his love and forgiveness in Jesus. That's the real reason why he came some 2,000 years ago to this earth. And that's where the passage that we read earlier, and I'm not going to repeat it again. You can read it for yourself, John 3, 16 and, and 17, which tells us that why God sent his son is so that he could save us from our sin and not to condemn us, but to to offer us a way out of the dilemma. And then uh, he continues to say this, that uh, we can experience God's amazing love by uh, accepting Jesus and through a simple prayer. We call it the sinner's prayer, which admits that I am a lost sinner. I, I, I believe in Jesus Christ. I confess my sin and I confess faith in him and, and appropriate and accept what he has to say to me. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. That means you don't have to commit a crime to be a sinner. Just not responding to God, just not relying on his grace is sufficient to condemn you for all eternity because they have not believed in the name of the Son, the only Son of God. As we conclude our service here. I'm going to ask the uh, team to come up here and lead us in a closing song. And as we do that, let me once again say, if you are here today and you have not at any point uh, accepted Jesus Christ, you have not responded to God's love, let me encourage you while we sing or right after the song to come to the front. We'd love to share with you. We'd like to help you in the process of making that decision for Jesus. But at the same time, we have a little booklet called Steps to Peace with God. It was created by the Billy Graham 
uh, foundation, and uh, it is a simple tool to help you walk through the steps of praying the prayer, the sinner's prayer. And this would be a wonderful Christmas if you had a right relationship with Jesus starting today. God bless you.